the audio quality of this intro is not great, but some of it is really funny. to Princeton's She Roars conference, Roars, R-O-A-R-S, um, <clears throat> and it's like the, has to do with the mascot because our mascot is a tiger, you know, so She Roars, right? Anyway, um, at first, I didn't want to go because uh, they invite or at least invited me well before October. Um, But then, like, a week or so, like, something around there, around that, before the deadline, I felt like, oh, I really have to go. (laughs) Because I guess I actually opened the invitation and I read the list of, you know, events and people coming, and I was like, oh, this actually is really interesting. And you don't know me, maybe, but I actually live uh, like 20 to 30 minutes away from where I went to college. So it's not really like I had some of the same issues as like some other people who wanted to attend the conference because they had to deal with like, you know, airplane travel, booking hotels, different things like that. And for me, it literally... You know, it would have been just a matter of, like, driving down (laughs) on the highway where I live to Princeton, getting there, parking in the parking lot that I always park in whenever I visit Princeton, and that would have been it. Then I could just go home every night, like, so it wouldn't have been a big thing. So it's not like I didn't want to go when I said before I didn't want to go. It's not like I didn't want to go because of, like, the headache that that can be sometimes. I didn't want to go just because, like... I don't know. <laughs> um, my relationship with Princeton. Um, yeah, I just, I guess I didn't feel a reason, a, mo- a strong enough motivation to go, um, which may sound very like vague and mysterious, but you know, why? Oh, like you may be thinking, oh, it's Princeton. Like, why wouldn't you want to go to an all-female conference? You know, the school only just started accepting females in the 1970s, even though they started, you know, when did Princeton start? In the 1700s. So, you know, it's not like it's like an all-everyone conference where it's like all the men back for decades and decades and centuries. And then... (laughs) Right, it's literally just going back like we're in 2018, going back like 50 years. So it's not even like it would have been that many people. Anyway, I decided to go. And the thing is, like, I really wanted to bring my mother. Um, but they were predicting like record attendance. So they're like, oh, you can only bring yourself. So I was like, oh, great. Still decided to go anyway. And I'm kind of the person that, like, I mean, now anyway, before, like, I wasn't, but now I can show up to a place not knowing anyone there 
and like that won't bother me but before my life if I had something to go to like I would at least even if I wasn't going with someone I would at least want to know that there was like one person minimum there that I knew (laughs) so that if I ever felt like that attack of like social anxiety or something I could just go leech onto them you know what I'm saying for the duration of the event so I don't feel like oh who do I talk to what do I do where do I put my hands like what like what what anyway I went um and it was good it was good um you know there were a lot of interesting conversations I was really interested in like the entrepreneurship conversations, education. There were different topics, but the ones that I would, you know, that I really wanted to, um, the, the talks that I really wanted to go to, because basically the whole conference was talks, right? And like these talks had like panels of speakers. So the talks that I really wanted to go to were the ones like about like, entrepreneurship, education, um, you know, the job hunt, like different like post-grad, young entrepreneur, young female entrepreneur, young minority entrepreneur problems. Like that's what spoke to me and still speaks to me, you know? So that's pretty much, this is me saying that the coming episodes that will be about or be from the She Wars conference, those basically will be the topics. So if you already know, like, oh, I don't care about any of those things, um, and I don't even like Princeton, then you can tune out. Like, that's fair. But if you're interested in any of those things that I just mentioned, I mean, stay tuned, because I plan, hopefully, hopefully, inshallah, to release, you know these episodes on a weekly basis because I recorded so much and literally what I would do, it's not advanced. I would pull out my phone. (laughs) I would pull out my phone upon hearing something interesting. Okay. And just record right in the room that I was in. And, you know, looking back, I'm just wondering like why I had no like shyness about this because like some of the rooms I was in really all of them, maybe except one, I'm pretty sure all of them. I'm the only, like, hijabi. So it's, like, kind of people are staring at me already anyway. But, I, you know, Princeton is not, like, um, I mean, from what I've experienced, weird about visibly Muslim people. Like, they're fine. I mean, there was one woman staring at me a lot <laughs> um, in one of the talks. And I'm just like, yeah, I know what's on my head like but she wasn't staring like in a mean way she just was like oh I didn't know like it's so good like that you are here like that's kind of what her face was kind of saying like wow you know how unexpected but like kind of refreshing kind of that's like the look that's what I was reading um could have read that completely wrong you know (laughs) Um, but yeah, so basically this episode, right, that this recording, um, is on will be, will have, will 
be made up of, composed of, you know, excerpts from different talks. So yeah, basically that's what this is going to be composed of. Yeah, thank you for listening. If you really listened up until now and didn't just, you know, forward the podcast player to the actual uh, episode. Which episode is this? This is, um, this would be... We have to be able to, um, everybody with the right support, school needs to give kids the kind of support that they need, and it has to be individualized again, so that kids can navigate the, the systems and, and learn to be in a diverse world with people who have different viewpoints than, than they have. Um, my children have gone to a high poverty elementary school, um, and uh, they're you know very diverse racially and mostly um, free reduced lunch. And and I um, it's our neighborhood school, and I think that the skills that that are learned by being in a diverse community are the skills that we need to take that next big step forward. But by by sorting, selecting, and having only you know one type of, okay, diversity is really good, but I want my kid to go to Princeton. <laughs> so I'm gonna send them here. You know, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a challenge. I mean, and full disclosure, my daughter now is in middle school and she goes to a private girls um, middle school. It's a very diverse school and it's about social justice, but it is, it is a private school, which I never thought, I never thought I would, um, do given my work, but I, I, I made that choice um, because it was, it was right for her. Um, but I but I do, I mean, school has to become more than checking off earning credit, getting through a checklist. That's what you have teaching us to think and be active civic members of our society. If we don't do that, which we can do that, if we don't do that, we have these, well, look at our look at what's happening now, mm-hmm. right? In our in our civic discourse or <laughs> non-civic discourse. Um, it's it's interesting. I just how when you're talking about it, um, sort of the disconnect or like the fear of change. I think that that happens a lot with my parents. Um, the students in my school. Um, I think it's about 55% Asian. Um, their parents are immigrants, a lot of them are uh, first generation, and they grow up with a lot of pressure. And so, you know, I think that we have to have what Piper was talking about, a mindfulness class for the parents. Um, <laughs> like, I just had back to school night on Thursday. And um, for back to school night, I have 10 minutes to talk to each class of parents. and. Um, I choose to spend that 10 minutes by talking about um, what it feels like to be in my classroom rather than talking about curriculum and talking about um, things like Carol Dweck's growth mindset and how um, we need to like, really support the students and they have to, we have to work together, the parents and I have to work together to support their emotional health. Um, and what I found that's interesting is that a couple times during the night, parents came up to me and said, so, you know, are you saying that my child can do better if they just do more practice problems? <laughs> and I'm like, 
is that what you're proud of? <laughs> <laughs> well, and so I think there's a deep-seated fear of change amongst the parents, too, a lot of whom come from a culture where one test determines where they go to school. And they kind of put that kind of pressure on their students. So every SAT, every AP exam, every SAT2, every grade that comes out, they're looking at it from the lens of this will determine my kid's future. And so I think that it's hard to change that mindset when that's what they grew up with and they're here in the United States because they have been able to be successful through being successful with these tests and you know their admission to the best college, etc. So I mean I think it's change is difficult from a lot of different angles. Not only do we have to change administration, not only do we have to um, change the college admission process, which I mean I'm glad that there are schools that are not requiring the SAT anymore. I think those are all small steps, but we have to have a major cultural shift in order to um, change Intrinsic learning and 
grit and perseverance, resiliency, all these things. But here I am as a parent with a senior now, and I'm finding myself very conflicted because it's very hard to measure those things. And I think our school does a great job of proud my kids are there. But I'm here reminded how amazing it is to be a place like this, jealous of some of my classmates whose kids are here, and thinking, my kids' profile doesn't look like that. So and I see as an admission person, we're trying to recruit families, and we compete against schools that send kids there because they have more athletes than we do or whatever. And parents measure by that. Where do your kids go to school? So how, I'm curious how you that have kids sort of reconcile your two worlds as a parent and in this educational field, but what we can all do to help the greater society know that you can get a great education other places, even when we ourselves know that this place is spectacular and hard to I'm finding myself very conflicted. I'd love to get your take on that. Great, so we need to have coffee. Or, so I have a senior And um, it is, um, it's a journey. And it's hard. Reconciling all of this. I mean, just as good student graduates for ourselves, right? I mean, I, some of my family have gone to an Ivy League school, right? This is a huge big deal. They still think it's a big issue. And I sort of like, whatever, right? And I can say whatever because I've had this incredible benefit of this network of all of you amazing people and the world that we've explored together. So, um, I don't, I don't know that I can reconcile that for myself right now. And but yet, I guess it just comes back to, I don't know, that session we had about success yesterday. Mm -hmm. That success is about about what you want and decide to kind of it way better, but what you are aspiring to at different ages of your life and what has meaning and purpose for you. And I have to follow that journey for myself and I have and my almost 18 year old has to follow that for himself. Hopefully guided, right? But as was it Sonia Sotomayor said, there are very few fatal mistakes. <laughs> and so um yeah, I would just add one one thing to what Piper um, has said, which is that at my school, and I think at a lot of schools, we are having to do a better job of just the, the college list is such a lazy way to to measure what's actually going on in the school. So um, telling stories and recording, circulating those stories. So. One of my favorite stories from this fall so far was in my second week of school, one of our seniors who was um, born without sight and who had a life-changing operation when she was about three and who has this intrinsic desire to be a, a health engineer to improve the lives, health outcomes of others. So she's a STEM girl. She comes down and she says, I got in! And I said, you got in where? It's September, you got into college? What did you get in? And she said, I got into my German immersion program for winter term. And I said, that's amazing. Why are you going to Germany? And she had done her research, and she wants to go to two, one of two universities in Germany that do it best. And so she's going to learn German. And I thought to myself, yeah, she doesn't care about the US News and World Report. She's got purpose. Where she goes to school is one of a thousand decisions that this young woman 
and many others like her will make on, on the way to uh, a much bigger end that does not require what is an amazing place. This is an amazing place. It's Disneyland. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't, and happiness is not, really, happiness and success, this is, this is not a golden ticket for, for all good things. I also, when I say that, I'm a white woman saying that, and I also realize that it is a potential blind spot because I do know that people who are marginalized by uh, race, they need this place on their resume more than I need it. And so I also want to say that too. I, I really want to make sure that's not a blind spot. I just want to thank you, and um, I think many women resonate. I'm a strong mother. I'm an 11-year-old boy with a lot of, he's wonderful at sports, but he's not me. He's not a bookworm. It, it kills me like every single day. <laughs> and I just keep going, and I look at growth mindset, and I keep reading things, and whatever. And, but I want to talk about another thing. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, and um, I live in Parkland, Florida, where there was a school shooting. And it affected me as obviously, you know, we lost patients, I lost my neighbor, it affected the community, and obviously affected the country because all of you know about it. And um, you know, it was a it was a there's been a darkness in our town because we were ranked the safest town in Florida, and we were kind of the bubble, and the bubble the, the bubble burst. And um, what's interesting about it is we had an election recently for our school board. And unfortunately, Broward County is a school board that is notorious for corruption. And we have three spots open, and two spots were parents of slain children, and one was a very well-respected child psychologist. And after everything that's been done, and everything you've seen on TV, and all, and everything that we've been through, only 30% of the town voted. Um, my friend Lori did get through, but she was very aggressive with what she did. And so here I thought, we all moved to Parkland for the schools, a bubble was burst, we know there's something wrong, where's the money, right? Where's all our taxes going? These teachers are not being uh, paid properly. Resources, now there's a charter coming on a field for the catalog. You know, we don't want that charter, honestly. But uh, what says we can't afford it? So bottom line is, it's like we're in our little bubbles worrying all day long about our kids or their report cards or their, you know, but then when it comes to community and making a difference and having advocacy, we're checked out because we're so panicked in our own heads about what's happening to us. We're not interconnected. I just want to say I'm so sorry that you experienced that, and it's really, really hard on the community. On my school community, we've lost over the last four years, we've lost 25 students, 21 to homicide and four to suicide. I lost two students in the last 10 days. Doesn't make the news, but um, but it's really, really hard, and I want so badly for it to become a catalyst. I've been trying, we've been registering students to vote when they turn 18, and really working hard to try to get them to see themselves in leadership roles where they can tell their stories and help connect instead of going further, you know, um, just, just being hurt by these 
situations. Thank you. Um, I wanted to toss out to you a um, maybe an umbrella concept that is sort of a compromise between some of the things you're strongly advocating and some of the things you're complaining about. For example, the No Child Left Behind and the emphasis on you know the testing. Um, the, the thought, one of the thoughts is that uh, people are multidimensional, and yes, you do need to, I think, we, wouldn't we agree that to some extent, you know, people, when they uh, go through education, should develop some kind of common knowledge base, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, something about history, science, you know, that, that maps on to some of the, you know, subjects that are in the school. But isn't it that we're out of balance now with the No Child Left Behind? Um, and that these other things like, um, let me call it self-actualization, the, you know, uh, finding out what you want to do and trying to realize that, you know, things like that are being given, you know, there's no time for it. Um, and with measurement, um, there's a history of measuring, you know, the subject matter expertise, but you could measure, you know, some of these other things, you know, as far as like remember kindergarten, old kindergarten, um, you know, plays well with others, you know, works, works in a team. Um, th those are simple measurements. Um, you can say people pass, fail, satisfactory, excel in those little simple things. Um, so that's definitely a measurement, but people may be dissatisfied with it for some of the reasons, you know, because it's like, I want my child, you know, to be like on the top, and I don't want them to just be one of half the people that works well on a team. Um, but um, those are very valuable other attributes of ha having found your own purpose and being on a road to marching, working with a team, being a problem solver, uh, being able to communicate, you know, those are all attributes that are important. So they're sort of both, as people were multidimensional. So I'm throwing out the concept of, you know, shouldn't we be multidimensional in how we, we look at children and education? Um, and then I just, if it, one of the complaints about that is, well, I can't line everybody up on one rank and pick the top people that are going to go to Princeton or whatever. My, my response to that is, in reality, people are multidimensional. And if you want to look at life success, it's different profiles of capabilities that are best matched to different jobs out in the world or different roles out in the world. And there is no you know, magic ranking you know, that um, you know, so that's just my comment if you want to read that. Thank you. Thank you. I think that there's a lot of agreement on the panel with what you just said. Thanks. Uh, I'm Sarah Tantillo, class of 87. Uh, a couple quick things. Number one, I'm the board chair of the Princeton Blairstown Center. If you're interested in what we do, I'm about to tell you what it is. <laughs> uh, 
We run programming around socio-emotional learning, and we have a campus up in Blairstown. Some of you may have been to it through outdoor action or other things over the years. Um, we have put our curriculum for socio-emotional learning on our website, PrincetonBlairstownCenter.org, um, for middle school and high school. It's uh, how many people here are working K-12? That's terrific. Um, my next question is, how many of you felt like when you were at Princeton, there was a very clear path for how to get into K-12? <laughs> right. So I just want to put that out there, as I think that's one of the big issues. It's, yeah, teachers should get paid more, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm in education. I'm an educational consultant now. I taught high school English for 14 years. Um, and I'm really excited about a lot of good things that are happening in the field because a lot of interest, interesting, intelligent people have gotten into the field through alternate routes, it would be really nice if more people who go to Princeton and other places uh, like ours got into the field. And it would be really nice if the university would do a whole lot more to encourage people down that path. students with other um, obstacles in front of them 
um, to have those same conversations. I mean, to your point, at the C school, um, kids, we didn't want to offer an alternate track, although Karen's story is so profound, because for our kids, going to college was critical, like, stamp on their, you know, ticket, right, for for everything else to open new worlds. Um, I, I mean, I, I, look, I, the structural inequities are incredibly vast from, as you said, you know, geographical to, you know, racial bias and understanding of that. I mean, you know, preschool boys of color being kicked out of preschool, you know, <laughs> based on Walter Gilliam's research, you know, based on nothing except that they had normal toddler behavior or not normal early toddler behavior. Um, but because they're boys, because they're boys of color, that, you know, all teachers, including teachers of color, make these, you know, assumptions about their behaviors. Um, if I could just add to this, so that um, <clears throat> I mentioned a program earlier about the Mastery Transcript Consortium. It is true that um, private school graduates make up a tiny little fraction of college students. It is also true that private school, high school graduates make up over 25% of full tuition paying college students at four-year private institutions. So colleges can't ignore what we are doing. And the whole point of doing this is to disrupt um, a default system for public schools if they choose that they too want to follow in that way. It's not, this is not for private schools to, to sit around and think, think about, oh, let's make meaning and that's, and that's, it's actually to try and disrupt it for everybody so that teachers can actually teach what they care about and what they know is right. The whole point is actually to disrupt, to use or leverage the resources of independent schools to tip the scale for everybody so that teachers can teach kids what they care about and what's important to learn. It's actually about changing what Barbara can do in her classroom for everybody, not just private schools. We're just trying to direct our money there for everybody. Can I just say also on that, um, I have one of my 12 campuses in the juvenile detention center, I have the adult jail for incarcerated youth at age 21, but in the juvenile detention center when I started, they told me, you have to just teach the kids the basics. You can't add in, don't teach them history, don't teach that, you reading, writing, math, all day. And I rejected that immediately because what I believe they, the students in that situation need is um, they do need to read, write, and do math, but they need to also understand their rights. They need to understand the history of racism in America and race in America. They need to um, understand the Constitution and the laws that are affecting them and redlining in Seattle and you know all of these these kind of things and to be connected not just just into the negative things that are happening but then also to feel like they have have a path out and we were we've done that I mean we have done that and it has not been an, an easy journey but I think when now when I see the kids coming out and they come to our other schools that are not for incarcerated youth 
um, they are ready to go and they're questioning and they're empowered to do that. Five years ago, a walk, there was a big walkout um, about gun violence. And my kids, I'm not like, get up. The whole city's walking out. They were like, so, you know, uh, And we've gotten to a place of really trying to teach activism and disruption um, to kids who are worried about, like, where am I going to get my next meal? Which is, which is a challenge, right? Walking out open, what if I miss lunch and I don't get to grab the food that I need for later? So kind of that balance. We have officially run out of time, but if you have questions that are burning, come on up and we're happy to, to chat with you. Thank you so much.